0: Just so happened to be in a good mood, and sometimes when that happens in our good humor, uh, we make excuses for that person. Uh, We say things like, well she must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed today, or he must have had a fight with his wife last night, or surely the boss is on the warpath today. And we may not say it to them, normally we say it afterwards, and you say it usually to a friend or maybe to ourselves, but the thoughts are there. And um, we may even have gotten to a place in our lives where we try to think the best of someone, even when we are not in a good humor ourselves. And sometimes we make excuses for someone we know a, a friend or a coworker not because we are in a particularly a good humor or because we have uh, matured enough to always try to see the best in others but because we know the person and uh, we know that he or she is not usually rude or brash or thoughtless and we, we know there just has to be a reason for it, so we start imagining what those things might be. And that's not really a bad thing at all, is it? I mean, I mean, it speaks pretty well of that other person that, uh, that we're trying to think of those excuses for. Well, this morning, we're, we're going to take a look at a story that makes us want to do that very thing. Uh, we read this passage, and and we want to begin making excuses for one of the characters. And, and a person that we want to do that for is, believe it or not, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but we'll see in the end, whether we really need to supply any excuses for him or not. But we certainly, as we read this passage, can feel like that. And I really do think that once we understand what's going on in the passage, that no excuse is really necessary. But at first glance, it sure looks like there might need to be some such excuse. So I want you to join me this morning, if you would, please, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, where we're going to be looking at verses 24 through uh, thirty uh, mark seven twenty four through thirty and uh, looks like we 've got it on the screen on either side of me, so as we turn to our passage this morning, we find Jesus is seeking to get away from the crowds, and he 's really even outside the nation of israel altogether but but even there, outside of Israel, people come to him in verses twenty four we read Jesus left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. That's a Gentile territory. And he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it, and yet he could not keep his presence a secret. So we we know, as we've made our way and we've studied the Scripture and read God's Word, we know that Jesus... Uh, often sought time uh, alone with his disciples And, and sometimes he did that because he wanted that time for the disciples to be refreshed and sometimes he looked for that time so that he could instruct them without distractions. And, and if you were to read uh, those various accounts where he did these things when he, when he looked to get alone, you might think that he wasn't very successful at it, since just as here, uh, people always seem to find him wherever he was. And yet, yeah, the truth of the matter is, is in every one of those cases, there was time alone with the disciples. There was the time that they traveled to that place, whether they went on foot, which they did often, or whether they went by boat, which they often also did. Uh, and, and then once they arrived at this other place, at their destination, the, the, the pace wasn't quite as hectic as it has, had been. And so he was able to accomplish what he wanted uh, when he got there. And as always, apparent interruptions that that seemed to just plague him really were just part of his plan and purpose for going where he went anyway so in this case Jesus uh, went to tire and that area he went there to meet a particular woman now the disciples of course uh, they didn't know that Um, you might think that as many times as uh, that happened, they would have eventually caught on, but somehow they never really seemed to—at least not until much later. Now I'm not so sure that it surprises—that uh, should surprise us, because. I'm not so sure that we don't suffer for that same kind of dullness. I, I really do wonder how many times you or I have been on our way somewhere. We've got a purpose. Or we're going to go do some such thing. And someone comes across our path. And, uh, and, and it's somebody that we needed to meet. And, and sometimes we ended up ministering to them, or sometimes they end up ministering, to us, or or maybe there's another reason altogether for that coincidence, and yet somehow we don't seem to expect it as we make our way through life. Maybe one day we get to that point where we're no longer surprised, and when we walk out the door we begin to think I wonder what God has in store for me today. I wonder who I just might run across. Anyway, verses 25 and 26 introduce us to the woman that Jesus set out to meet. And so we read there, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, uh, from uh, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So there's two simple facts about this woman that we see here in this passage. First is is that she had a daughter who was possessed by an evil spirit. And the second one, she was a Greek, that is, she was a Gentile. And that fact is really rather kind of stressed. The text highlights the place of her birth. And if you don't know it, you need to know the Jews and the Gentiles really didn't get along. There was a real racial animosity uh, there. Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. And as you might well imagine, that was not intended as a compliment in any way, and it certainly wasn't received as a compliment. In fact, uh, some might even have concluded about this woman that uh, a demon-possessed daughter is really no uh, worse than what such a person would deserve. But then the Gentiles uh, had those same kinds of feelings towards the Jews, and they weren't hesitant about expressing those feelings either. And one of the things that really makes the Bible so obviously true is its accurate portrayal of human life and the world we live in we're no strangers to what we just read here. We're no strangers to that world. We recognize what we see here is a very same world that we live in today. And we're really not surprised by it at all. What does surprise us, at least a little bit, is that this Gentile woman would go to this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, at all. But she did. And not only did she go to him, but she went as soon as she heard about him. The end of verse 26 tells us why she went. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So that's why you're not quite so surprised that she went. I mean, she had a daughter who was demon-possessed, and she had heard about Jesus. She knew some things about him, and one of the things that she obviously knew was that he could do wonderful things. Uh, He could heal people, and he could raise the dead, and he could cast out demons, and that was particularly important to her. And Jews and Gentiles might not get along, but Jesus had something she needed, and so she went to him. Now, we, we might be a little surprised that this woman, woman went to Jesus, but we really can understand it. We, we can see why she did. What really surprises us is what we, what we find hard to understand is what Jesus does next in verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And it's that last part that really disturbs us. Jesus refers to the Gentiles as dogs. And we might be able to understand him wanting to do good to his own people first, but we're we're left just about speechless when we read that second part. It doesn't seem like that Jesus, we know and we want to somehow make excuses for what he just said. But I have to tell you that I've read a lot of different commentaries in my time as a pastor and some even before I was a pastor, and read a lot about this passage, and, and, and many of the commentaries, they, they try to soften what Jesus says here by drawing a distinction between wild scavenger dogs which roamed in the areas of Jesus' day and family pets, and And the word that Jesus used really kind of seemed to make me refer to the latter. Somehow, though, I I just don't think that really matters much. I mean, in the end, he still refers to them as dogs. I think it was just as disconcerting to that woman when she heard those words as to you and I when we read them. And while the Gentiles were referred to as children by Jesus... uh, the Jews, uh, the, the, the I mean, the Jews were referred to as children. The Gentiles were referred to as dogs, and and all of that racial divide that existed at that time of uh, in that day was on display in that distinction. Family pets, notwithstanding. Now, there's another other piece of information that you ought to know, and Mark doesn't tell us. Uh, about it but Matthew does and it kind of becomes more important as we make our way through this and what we learn from Matthew is that when this woman first came to Jesus he simply ignored her for a long time. Uh, She was pleading with him to do this thing for her and he just ignored her he he paid no attention at all to her in fact that constant pleading on the part of this woman to jesus was so annoying that the disciples finally asked jesus to send her away and that's when he turns to her and says what we just read here in mark now i want to come back and and i want to talk some more about this Uh, but but there's a few more surprises waiting for us here, and I want to look at those first. Um, we've read this passage, really, I think, those of us who make it a habit to, to read our Bible every day, we've read this passage so many times, it's become familiar to us, and, and, and we really don't feel that sense of, of surprise anymore, although we feel the discomfort in this passage. But if we try, I think we can still kind of recall some of that feeling of surprise. And, and maybe the next surprise comes from this Gentile woman. She's gone to Jesus, and he greets her with this really offensive statement after first ignoring her, and then we see how she responds in verse 28. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I don't know about you, but I I read that. And I love it. <laughs> I mean, we see her humility there, and it absolutely astounds us. Uh, we recognize in those words her, her absolute love and commitment uh, for her daughter and her determination to get for that young girl what she so desperately needs. And she doesn't let anything stand in her way. And, and let's face it. Uh, friends, if someone had to talked to us like that, we wouldn't have stood for it. <laughs> we wouldn't have. We would have shot back with some smart remark ourselves, or, or we'd have stomped away in anger. Or maybe the very best our response might have been that we'd walk away in sorrow. If our, if our child was in need, uh, we we might have done as this woman did, and we'd have endured it. But we wouldn't have endured it for much less than that. And when you see what that woman's response was, alongside of what Jesus said, it, it really shines, doesn't it? I, I, I mean, I mean, that's what surprises us, is that this Gentile, and almost no understanding of God, can say something like that. There's one more maybe small surprise for us in the story, and, and that's what we read in verse 29 and following. It says, then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on bed, and the demon was gone. <laughs> you know, it's almost there. What's surprising is it's almost there as if Jesus had changed his mind. Uh, it, that's what It just doesn't seem right. It catches us by surprise. It's not that he healed the girl. We expect that, don't we? But it looks like he changed course. And that, I think, really is uh, surprising to us. And I think this whole account here is startling. It's uh, it's something that we see and we read it and and at least we feel like we want to make excuses for him. Well, this is why he did it. Well there really is a little bit better course that we can take and, and that's to really try to understand what's really happening here. We're not so much trying to excuse the behavior but we want to understand it. We want to know why did it happen? Why is it in the scripture for us? And that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to think about it a little bit and see if we can make some sense of it. And there are really two things that we see that begin to make sense of this whole episode. And the first thing that we see here is the genuine faith of this woman. You see, she so believed in Jesus that he could do what he needed, that she was not going to let anything stand in her way. Ignore me as long as you want, but I'm not going away. You have what I need. Call me a dog if you'd like, but I'm still here. You have what I need. I'll accept your terms. I'll take the crumbs because even the crumbs will give me what I need and what I need is help for my daughter. And you can give it. And somehow, I've heard about you. (coughs) Somehow, I know that you can do these things. And somehow, I see, I understand that you really are good. And so I believe that you're going to Give me what I need. I believe you're going to help my daughter. And you know, as far as the faith is concerned, she is absolutely running circles around the disciples. All they can say is send her away. Why not ask Jesus to do what she wanted? Why didn't they take her side? Why didn't they come to their aid? Instead, they simply are embarrassed by the whole affair, and one was sent away. You see, they didn't understand. Not like that woman did. They didn't understand that Jesus was really good. If they had that much faith, if they had believed Jesus, if they knew he was good, then they would have added their voices to hers. Instead, all they said was, send her away. And that faith that she has is like a, it's like a diamond on the top of a bucket of coal, it shines in the midst of all that racial ugliness that you see as the background of this passage <coughs> and that 's the first thing that that we see here is this demonstration of this genuine faith, a faith of a gentile when the Jews who should have known better didn't have that faith. The next thing I think is going on here is that Jesus is demonstrating the attitude of the disciples and of the Jews of that day. See, he's showing them very clearly (coughs) just just what they look like, and it's really ugly. Uh, It's an acted-out parable. I have to tell you something. There have been times when I have had to say to one of my children, how would you feel? If your mother or I had just said something like you just said, or or treated someone the way you just treated that person, or did what you just did, how would you feel if I did that or if your mother did that? And the response was always the same. They wouldn't like it at all. <coughs> and for our kids, the very thought of their parents acting that way... Why? It, it, it just was repugnant to them. They expect more from us, and the, and the thought of us doing that, whatever that might be, uh, wasn't a pleasant thing to them. I think that's really what's going on here. Jesus is showing the disciples what racism looked like, that it was ugly, and all the more so, because they didn't expect Jesus to act that way, and and that might have even added to their discomfort. I have to tell you, my children never liked it when I asked them about me or their mom doing or saying or acting the way they did. I didn't do that often, but there were times when I did, and, and they didn't like it because it, it showed them what they looked like. When they acted that way, and I and I can tell you the disciples didn't like it either. In their heart, they expected more from Jesus, and to see him act like that was simply awful, awful. So, so that's one of the things that was happening here. There's this faith of this woman on display, and there's this this acted out parable where Jesus is demonstrating the ugliness of racism. And it's also probable that the woman was a racist too. I mean, she may have been the biggest anti-Semite in her town. We really don't know, but uh, she could have been. But after this, I have to tell you, she could never look at a Jew in quite the same light, could she? Something in her heart and soul had to change. So those couple of things really, I think, explain that episode to us. And we know it does. We know it does for several reasons. First, we know. I mean, we've seen it too many times not to recognize it. We know that Jesus went where he went on that day in order to meet this woman. This was no accident. It was no mistake. He went there for her, and he went there for her daughter. He wanted time away from the crowd, he, and he got it as he journeyed there, and, and and the pace was less hectic, but he he went there to meet her, and he answered her prayer. I mean, he intended to do that all along. I mean, Jesus is God, and and he does not change his mind. He had other work to do. Uh, he was uh, in an acted out parable teaching his disciples about the ugliness of racism and he, he also knew that woman's heart needed to be changed that she too was a racist. But he knew all along that he was going to answer that woman's prayer. We also know Jesus wasn't a racist because he had helped other Gentiles before and when he left here He went to the Decapolis. That was ten Gentile cities that were together. And he spent time there caring for them and ministering to them. And finally, we know. I mean, we know Jesus. We know that he's not like that. We read this and we begin to to try to understand what's going on because we know that's not the way he is. The truth of the matter is, is that we who know Jesus, we really know him. We know him better than we know any other person in this world, better than we know a member of our own family. Now, the truth is, my friends, that if Christ didn't reveal himself to us, we couldn't know him. But he does. And what he shows us is real. It's not clouded by sin, and there's no facade, there's no fake, there's no mask, there's no pretend. We know who he is. Everyone else we know, to some extent, is hidden to us because of those things, but not Jesus. He simply is who he is. We really do know him, and we really do know better. We we know that there was a reason for his actions. There's at least one more thing that this passage teaches us, and it really kind of goes beyond the, the strangeness of the passage itself. See, it tells us something about prayer. It teaches us the plain, persistent prayer of this mother got results. In humility, she went to God. She laid her request plain and unadorned before him, and she persisted. He ignored her. He put her uh, uh, out, and yet she persisted, and God gave her what she wanted. She persisted over and over again. By precept and example, we are shown, we are taught that we need to persist in prayer. I'm not always sure really why we do that. I mean, God could certainly give us anything we ask for the first time we ask, and sometimes he does that, and sometimes he even gives it to us before we ask but so often he wants us to keep on praying and i think somehow it strengthens our faith and maybe somehow it makes the answer sweeter when it comes and and maybe it, it reminds us of our need and who supplies that need it humbles us and we we need that humbling and there's something beautiful and amazing and and inspiring and persistent prayer even When it seems to go unanswered, but oh, especially, especially when it's finally answered. I've given that example of the pastor of my home church and his church. After 25 years, this woman, uh, husband, came to know Jesus Christ. Bo went home to visit his church, his family back there. And and he says, who's that man sitting with Mrs. So-and-so? That's her husband. She's been praying for him for 25 years. He finally gave his heart to Christ. I think, I think those things, when they come, are absolutely inspiring. And there's just something amazing about it. And I think when we persist in prayer, we honor God and we obey him. And, and he's probably doing things in our own hearts and souls that we need to, do, to have done. And yet, whether we understand it or not, or even if we think we see some reasons for it or not, God honors persistent prayer. It doesn't mean you get what you ask for, it does mean you'll get an answer, and somehow the fact that God gives you an answer makes a difference even when the answer is no and her prayer was plain i mean i mean she she simply stated her need, she wasn 't wordy, she wasn 't eloquent, she didn 't try to reason with him, though that 's not wrong in itself. You know, some of the greatest saints in the Bible reasoned with God, but it 's really not our reason that prevails at some point. we just simply stop and we revert simply back to asking. she didn 't make excuses for God. We, we, you know we do that you know how often we do that when we pray. Before God even has a chance to say no, we're explaining to him why he's not going to give us what we're asking for. Yes, the truth is he may not say yes to us, Accepting that is part of our faith. But even Jesus left the choice up to the Father. He told him what he wanted, and then he said, your will be done. I think that's straight forward kind of prayer is more pleasing to God, is more faithful, is more trusting, and therefore more effective than our tentative, weak, cold, passionless, theologically correct mutterings. The Bible says, after all, pour out your hearts to God, not display your theological astuteness. I don't mean you ought to try to manufacture emotions. Just say what's in your heart. Now, there are times when you you, you do, you have to express that caution. We don't want to give anyone any kind of a false hope. Uh, well, you have to explain that sometimes God may say no. We may even have to remind ourselves of that. But when we finally get around to praying, let's be honest and tell God what we really want. I think that's awfully freeing. I, I say it all the time. I, I, I don't know if it if it gets across, but knowing he's going to answer according to his wisdom and love, just absolutely sets my heart free. I know I can pray about what's in my heart and trust God with the answer. See, that's what this woman did. She was persistent, and she was plain. Lord, give me what I need. Give me what my daughter needs. Heal her. And somehow I, I, I believe that if Jesus had said no to her, her heart might have broke but she'd made a commitment in her heart to God, I think she would have left there and she would have continued walking in faith. I have to tell you, I think she stands as an example today, just as she has done down through the years of what real prayer looks like. It's, It's plain and it's persistent. She, she, she's she been honored for that. She was honored for that because her story's included in the scriptures. And different people have talked about her story and have so honored her down through the years. And that's why we're talking about her today, to honor her. And, and the reason we're doing that is because it is Mother's Day. And, and oh, so much of what happened here in this story. Happened because there was a a mother who loved her child. (coughs) And that made a difference in the way she acted. So, you all know, don't you? Every Mother's Day I do the, the same thing. I give you a chance to honor your mother's, grandmother, wife, whatever it might be chance for you to publicly honor them. You know, Proverbs 31 says, let the thing she's done bring a reward at the city gate. This is as close to a city gate as we get in our culture. So I, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to bring a microphone to you. Those of you who, who are wanting to do that and share a thought about their mom and uh, I'm going to allow you to do it. I'm going to start if I could. Uh, I, I usually do participate. I don't usually start, but today I, I really want to do that. Um, my mom's been gone uh, five years now. Uh, she died um, as com- from complications of Alzheimer's disease, which she had for uh, the preceding ten years.